my dominance, right is my dominant side, and I couldn't do that. I have to do this. I can't do it. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. If you are one of our guests, welcome to Conroe Bible Church. I have just a few quick announcements before we get started. Um, if you have not already heard, today is the day we are hanging out here after church across the hall in the great room to celebrate um, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, new children's pastor. Um, Adam Shelburne. So please hang around. Feel free to hang around and enjoy lunch with us um, and get to know him a little bit more. This week, there are a couple of things or a couple of things coming up this week and next for the women's ministry. This coming Saturday, February uh, 19th, is the Women's Encourage Her meeting. Um, and then next week is Let's Do Lunch on the 23rd. So make plans for those things. If you have not already, you can find the details about those on Church Center. <clears throat> Also, um, our, our students' ministry is gearing up for an apologetics conference for the students called Chaos to Clarity. So if you've got a, uh, a kiddo in the, uh, is it 11 to, uh, to high school range? Is it, or is it 12? Does anybody know? 11, 11 to 18. 11 to 18. Um, then uh, you can get your kids signed up for that um, Chaos to Clarity and Apologetics Conference. Um, and uh, the uh, sign-up for that is on Church Center. You can get there through the app or through the website. And then men, sign up for Wild Game Dinner if you have not already. We are three weeks away from that. Um, sign up to bring a tame game dish or a, not, I guess it's a wild game dish or a dessert or don't come in empty-handed because you will be in trouble when you show up. <clears throat> you guys stand up with us. We're going to begin with a new song, and I want to teach you a part of that song before we actually, um, before we actually begin. I just have two parts right here. Um, they're pretty easy, and it goes, Hallelujah. By the blood of the Lamb. So we'll practice the hallelujah part first. We'll sing that twice. You guys sing that with me. Hallelujah. Again. Hallelujah. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That was really good. One more time. Three times through hallelujah and then redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Satisfied. 
the precious blood of Christ, not the same, I am changed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by His grace, I am saved, I'm His child forever, I am, hallelujah, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. When he calls me home, I'll fall at his throne and forever worship Christ. I'll forever worship Christ. I'll forever worship Christ. I'll forever worship Christ. Not the same, I am changed.
that we find in you. We thank you for being one we can trust and depend on. And Father, we ask this morning that you would draw us near, that you would make us more like Jesus. Teach us now through the truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat if you're one of our kiddos, K through five. Numbers are tough this morning. K through five, you can be dismissed. to tell you a story about uh, Drover and his playful antics. He has a playfulness all his own. Drover is a chocolate lab mix. He's a rescue dog. He belongs to my son, Nate, and uh, daughter-in-law, Megan. And I have their permission to tell this story, and I understand that he's actually at home watching on the, the uh, YouTube today. So, uh, hey, Drover. Um, Drover does this thing called counter surfing in a way that we have not seen any other dogs do. Now, he's a good dog. He understands that he can't put his paws up on the counter, you know, like if cookies are cooling or if there's sandwiches out there or, or his favorite, you know, the ultimate, if the meat is thawing on the counter. He's not allowed to put his, his uh, paws up on the counter. So what he does is he stands up on his hind legs like a human being. And he walks the line of the counter looking to see what it is that he smells that is up there. And when he spots it, he stops. He goes over to the counter, doesn't put his paws on the counter. And he lays his head on his side and he reaches forward until he can snarf up whatever it is. Takes it off the counter, he takes it down to the floor and he begins to eat it and chew it slowly and enjoy his prize. Now, we're not exactly happy with it, but we sure enjoy the uh, playful antics of this dog. Uh, nobody trained him to do that. Uh, he came that way, and um, we think God created him uh, to do it that way, to go after the, the uh, food on the counter. Very playful dog. Now, Drover has provided us a lot of fun, and what he does is allow us to see a little bit of God's work through creation. Uh, because in creation, we get a look at God and his nature and the things that he is capable of. Creation is where I want to start today as we talk about rediscovering Jesus. Last week, I asked you to reflect on different titles 
of Christ. Uh, the four that are on the, the board here, creator, sustainer, redeemer, and king. And to look for his action in your life on a daily basis as you begin to recognize who he is and what he is doing in your life. So I don't know if you started with that. I don't know if you reflected on creator, but I'm going to start there. That's where John starts in his gospel, John chapter one. He tells us that everything was made through God and there is nothing that was not made that was not made through Jesus Christ. And he makes, Paul makes it clear in Colossians that Jesus is the creator uh, of everything. So as we unpack who Jesus is, let's start with creation. It is said that the personality of an artist leaks through their work. And so I want to look at a little bit of creation with you and see if we can get a better understanding of Jesus by looking at his works of art. And we might even see some of his playfulness because that's what I want to look at today in this series of trying to get to know Jesus so that we might understand him and experience him better, so we might love him more, so that we might follow him more. We find playfulness in the creatures made by Jesus, which indicates that he has a playful nature. Think of Drover the dog. You may have a dog that does all kinds of tricks that you've trained it to do. He may come up with his own. Perhaps you've seen video of otters playing tag with each other, or you've had a dolphin follow your boat across the bay and, and jump and spin and enjoy being near you. All of those large animals. I want to show you some pictures of small creatures that uh, give us a, an idea of the playfulness of Christ as we see the unique beauty and shapes of some of God's creatures. So the first one is the panther chameleon. This panther chameleon can grow to 18 inches. It, it lives in Madagascar, and it's so unique in its coloration and in its eyes. Its eyes move separately, and uh, but once they lock in on something they can both lock in together to give depth of uh, depth of field and and uh, increase the vision uh, they are primarily after insects and they have a tongue that just shoots out uh, so fast uh, the second one is a dwarf kingfisher now this little pocket-sized uh, bird this one lives in southeast asia and the indian subcontinent this is a beautiful little bird the third one is the blue ring octopus this one only grows to about eight inches but it's the most venomous octopus in fact if you threaten it it's going to release toxins that can ruin your day and uh, possibly kill you if you if you react to it. Uh, he lives in the tide pools of the Pacific Ocean and the Indian Ocean. Uh, beautiful octopus. I'd never seen that one before. This next one I really like. It's the sparkle muffin. It's, it's a type of peacock spider found in Australia. And this one was just discovered in 2015. Isn't it fascinating that we are still discovering God's creation uh, all over the world? So a grad student doing research in Australia discovered this uh, spider, a member of the peacock spider family. Uh, the next one is the poison dart frog. You're probably familiar with them. Uh, they're primarily central in South America, and uh, they're called the poison dart frog because of the toxicity uh, of their uh, skin and the toxins they can put out sometimes used or was used in arrows in uh, warfare and then there's the blue morpho butterfly the world's largest butterfly and uh, it can grow up to eight inches really interesting beautiful blue on the backside. i love that coloration uh, on the underside it's all brown with some uh, dark spots on it so that it can close its wings and be camouflaged against whatever's coming and even when it flies and flaps the wings it looks like it's appearing disappearing appearing disappearing uh, beautifully made by god they grow in a region from mexico to colombia and then this one uh, is just a favorite because it's um, it looks like it's animated, and uh, this is called the blobfish. What a great name! They grow to about 15 inches. They live two to three thousand feet under the surface of the ocean. So you probably haven't seen that one up close, but it is made by God, and He is creative, even on something that lives so far under the sea. These are 
examples of the creativity of Christ. And as we think about the shapes, the sizes, the colors, the proportions of these animals, what do they tell us about Jesus? Well, they tell us he's creative. They tell us he's fun. They tell us that he's very artistic and extremely wise in how he designs each animal to exist where they are located. What does it tell us about his heart? Well, I would say that we learn that God is far more playful than we are. That he just delights in creating things that we find delightful. That he has a playful side to his personality. And that when he creates, our joy is increased. And I think that's one of the purposes as we look at the playfulness of Jesus today is that he increases our joy by what's going on. I think it's part of his grace. Now, another part of playfulness is is certainly laughter. Do you ever wonder if God laughs? If um, if you're as um, clumsy with me with some of life's decisions, then uh, you probably think about that a lot, that uh, God is always laughing about what's going on because, you know, man proposes, God disposes. So I make my plans and uh, he corrects them uh, for me at times. Uh, I think God laughs. And so I want you to think about your own experiences in life where you have seen or experienced the laughter of God. We had one of these uh, opportunities on a family vacation. We were up in Colorado as a family, and we were staying at a friend's house, people we enjoy. We had just come back in, in our vehicle, parked in the driveway, and uh, just over there, the edge of the driveway, about 20 feet away and about 15 feet lower, we saw a deer chasing a fox. A deer chasing a fox. And, and we, we looked and we were kind of astounded. And then we just broke out in laughter. And then we started cheering for the fox. And, and, and they went back in, in circles of their own making uh, for about 10, 12 times. And then the fox darted off and, and the deer decided that he had, had enough. I don't know if you've had experiences like that in your life where you think, you know, God has just given me some fun and some enjoyment here that um, I wouldn't have gotten any other way. I mean, who knew that deer chased foxes? That was a fun experience. I think God laughs. Do you ever wonder if you can laugh in church? Certainly, we've tried to give you those opportunities. So I want to give you a few more opportunities this morning, and I want to start with some cringeworthy dad jokes. And uh, so if I can just get a groan or even a smile, I'll consider it victory. Um, Here's one for you. This would work well with my kids. I, I am concerned for the calendar. Its days are numbered. If a child refuses to sleep during a rest time, are they guilty of resisting arrest? I don't trust theirs. They're always up to something. Why do seagulls fly over the ocean? Because if they flew over the bay, we'd call them bagels. Okay, I'm getting a little bit. How about this? When two vegans get in an argument, is it still called a beef? (laughs) And and the last of the dad jokes, uh, I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know. The Lord gives us lots of opportunities to laugh throughout the day. We had a great opportunity yesterday at men's breakfast. I was sitting on the end of the table down near Jerry Bush, and I did ask his permission to tell this story. I thought he was making it up. The fact that he didn't make it up is just all the more hilarious to me. But we had somebody on the table that just it was recognized as having gotten a haircut last week. And so people were you know, commenting on that, and he just says, man, I'm just glad I have hair to cut. And, um, and Jerry pipes up, and he says, 
you know, my hair is thinning on the top. And when you look at Jerry from the front, you don't really catch that. But nonetheless, that's what Jerry says. And so it's thinning on the top. And he said, I have told my barber he should give me a discount because my hair is thin and he doesn't have as much to cut. And his barber replied, I charge a finder's fee because I got to hunt and peck for your hair to find it in order to cut it. Now, that joke is a little bit old for Jerry because he hears it every time he goes. But for me, it was fresh, and I just busted a gut. I I thought that was hilarious. I I wouldn't have thought of that, and certainly not that quickly. I guess the barber has had some uh, opportunities, some practice. Uh, Let me ask you if we can laugh about church humor. Uh, What do you call a book club that's been stuck on the same book for years? Church. And if you took all the people in the world who fall asleep during a sermon and you laid them end to end, head to toe around the world, they would all be a lot more comfortable. (laughs) What do you call pastors in Germany? You can get this one. German shepherds. (laughs) Who was the smartest guy in the Bible? I have to think about that one. It was Abraham, because he knew a lot. (laughs) Testing your knowledge of scripture here. And finally, what was Jesus' favorite ham? Bethlehem. Okay, that one was a little groan. (laughs) But it's fun to laugh, isn't it? Whether you're laughing at me or with me. Either way, it works. And I believe that God has given us laughter for just our enjoyment and certainly to increase our joy. And he's the creator of it. Now, we could go into all kinds of scientific things, right? It can close your stress cycle. It can increase your uh, serotonin, your dopamine. It can do all kinds of wonderful physiological things for you. And so certainly under the surface, I believe God created it for all of those reasons. But it's just fun to laugh and it's fun to enjoy. And I think we get a picture of the playfulness of God when we think about jokes, whether they're cringeworthy or they bust a gut. So hopefully your your heart's a little lighter. God's word informs us that life is not to be so serious. In the words of Solomon, we see this in Proverbs 17. A joyful heart is good medicine. And in Ecclesiastes, I believe it's still Solomon, he says a time to weep and there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Laughter is a gift of God. We're looking today at the playfulness of Jesus as we attempt to discover in greater ways who he is. That's the purpose of this sermon series. It's titled, Hello, my name is Jesus. Do you know him? And when I say, do you know him? I'm not asking, are you going to heaven? If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you know Jesus Christ by grace through faith. And your sins are forgiven. You've received the free gift of eternal life. And you are going to heaven. But what we're talking about here in this sermon series, as we look at God's word, is what's your experience of him? On a daily basis, how well do you know him? We don't want to be people who who just settle for things we learned in Sunday school years ago or some revelation we had in a mountaintop retreat. We want to be a people who are constantly growing in Christ, getting to know Christ and understand him. We don't want to put him in a box with a label on it and put it on a shelf, and that's all we know, and that's all we refer back to. We don't have several boxes that we just pull out what we need. We want to get to know Jesus in all his majesty. We want to call on him and get to know him and experience him in all his greatness. He is both infinite and mysterious. So we want to grasp the mystery of Jesus, but he is real and true. And we want to grasp the truth of who he is. And that's why we want to do this sermon series to poke at a little bit our understanding of who Christ is. Because Satan's greatest tool of deception is to distort our view of Jesus Christ, to distort our understanding of who he is to cause us to disregard Christ. 
to ignore Christ, to forget Christ in the middle of our crises. That's where Satan is. We want to let God increase our joy by seeing today the playfulness of Christ. And I'm indebted to a couple of authors, primarily John Eldridge, for poking at my heart this way in terms of thinking the, uh, the playfulness of Jesus. Too often we mistake in the church being solemn for heartfelt reverence. Or we think of humor as being flippant, or we want to steer clear of playfulness because it lacks spirituality. God gave us a sense of humor, and Jesus did not come to take it away. We want to explore that a little bit today, and perhaps even see Jesus in a different light and understand him more clearly. So I want to start with a couple of gospel examples. Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27. We're not going to go there because I'm just going to refer to it before we get to our key passage. But in Matthew 17, uh, Peter is confronted by the tax collectors for the temple. And he says, they say, Don't, does your leader uh, pay taxes? And he says, he certainly does. And then Peter goes to to Jesus and, and is like, you know, what are we going to do about this? And, and Jesus says, hey, get your fishing pole and go out there and, and uh, catch a fish and open its mouth. And when you get open the mouth, you'll have tax to pay for me and for you. Now, I don't know if you think there's some extremely obscure, allegorical, spiritual lesson there. Certainly, Peter had things to learn about the law and about Jesus Christ. But I think that's pretty playful, right? I mean, Jesus could have opened the cabinet and said, hey, uh, here's some drachma. Go pay the guy. Uh, he could have said, we don't have to pay the guy. Uh, I'm Jesus. Uh, but he says, no, go out and, and do what you do best. Catch a fish, open the mouth, and you're going to find uh, what we want here. Tells us about Jesus and his sovereignty and his power, but it also tells us about his playfulness. There's another episode in John where we see a bit of playfulness, I think, in John chapter 1, verses 43 to 50. Jesus has called Philip to follow him. And Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And he says to Nathaniel, hey, I have found this guy that you need to come and follow with me. And um, Nathaniel says, okay, I will come. And, and uh Philip says he's got to be the Messiah. And so Nathaniel comes and, and Jesus says, this is Nathaniel, a man who is without guile, a man who is not deceitful. And uh, Nathaniel says, well, how did you know about me and, and that I was coming over here? And, and Jesus said, well, I saw you sitting under the tree. And, and all of a sudden, Nathaniel just falls to his knees and says, Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, King of Israel. Now, that seems uh, just a little bit over the top for what Jesus has said. I, I saw you sitting under a tree. And so this is how he replies in John chapter 1, verse 50. Jesus says, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You're going to see greater things than this. Jesus knows what's coming. He's going to calm the sea. He's going to feed the 5,000. He's going to raise the dead. There are going to be lots of things going on. And, and uh, I think, I don't know if he's smiling when he says it or if it's kind of deadpan, but I think he's thinking about Nathaniel. Wow, this guy is easily impressed. I saw him under a tree and, and that got him. And so Jesus says, you know what? You follow me. You're going to see far greater things than this. We see some playfulness of Jesus in the Gospels. And so I want to turn to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to look at the playfulness of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. See his playfulness with two men that are traveling seven miles to a nearby village. Luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 35 carries this narrative. And as we think about the passage, we got to realize that the context is this. Jesus rose from the dead that morning. This is Resurrection Sunday. So just think about his mood. Think about all the excitement on his end, but it's not there for the men, especially these two men. Uh, 
And we'll find out why. In verse 13 and 14, we read this. And behold, two of them were going that very day, Resurrection Sunday, to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, now these, these uh, words here used for talking and discussing, they are heavy with emotion in the original language. It's very intense emotional discussion. They are debating. They are discussing back and forth. They are trying to figure out what has happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. That's not unusual. You're going the same way. Somebody comes up and joins you. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. We'll get into that a little bit later. The day is Resurrection Sunday. Two of the followers of Jesus are involved in intensely emotional discussion about all that has gone on during the weekend. This is Passover weekend. And so in Jerusalem, there's been preparation for Passover but everybody is aware that Jesus was there and the religious leaders wanted to kill him. And they had these plots and they went to the Romans and they had this injustice of trials and they condemned him and the Romans put him on the cross. Jesus casually walks up and joins them on the journey. He's incognito. And he says to them this in verse 17, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. I think the standing still part was they are shocked that he would even say such a thing. Here they are completely emotionally wrapped up in trying to figure out what is going on. What happened to this man that they wanted to follow? And somebody comes up to him and says, what are you talking about? And they're sad, they're disconsolate. So one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of these things which have happened here in these days? And Jesus said to him, what things? What things? I think there's a bit of playfulness there. They are grief stricken. They could not be more grief stricken. They think their friend Jesus, their rabbi that they have been following, is dead. Jesus casually enters the scene, and he, and he feigns ignorance. It, it, it makes me think of, you know, the mom who has picked up all the unused toys, and finally a child realizes that they're gone and says, where are my toys? And mom says, what toys? Jesus, in his playfulness, is certainly going to draw them out. There's going to be grace and truth here. But he doesn't just sit them down, and he certainly doesn't reveal himself, which makes it hard on the reader. Grammarians tell us this is literary irony, that we know what's going on. We know who Jesus is, but the people in the story, the characters in this biblical historical account, do not know. We expect Jesus to reveal himself. And we see this in verse 19 and 20. And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who is a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things have happened. And when they say that, they're emphasizing that this guy is dead. It's the third day. They describe what took place in the Passover celebration. But if you listen carefully, if you look at God's word here, you see that everything they say is in the past tense. They're talking about Jesus as being dead, dead and gone. They have no understanding of God's sovereign plan. They may have heard Jesus' passion predictions along with the, uh, the, the 11 disciples, but they did not understand. They did not grasp it. They have not applied the Old Testament that they've studied in their synagogues to him. And their thinking is limited strictly to what physically happened. They have the facts, but lack the ability to see what is plain. 
And isn't it ironic that in light of missing out on Jesus' predictions, they say it's the third day? Because Jesus had told them repeatedly, we see it throughout the Gospels, that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would rise again on the third day. They didn't put that together. So the next three verses, verses 22 to 24, add to their confusion. They were with some of the people that were following Jesus that morning, including the 11 disciples who were left. And some women came to them who had been to the tomb and said, the tomb is empty. The body is gone. And that confused them. And that set them on this spiral of what's going on. Somebody's misplaced his body. Somebody's taken it on purpose. Some angels spoke to him. That confused him even more. Peter and John did go to the tomb and they confirmed it. And everyone's confused and upset and angry. They are grief stricken in the depths of their heart. Jesus' body has been stolen and they are sad. That's the heaviness that they are experiencing, and that's the burden that they are carrying. Now think of Jesus. He's just defeated Satan on the cross. He's just defeated death in the grave. If there's anyone that was ever elated, on that day, Jesus has got to be that person. He's got to be jubilant. He's got to be so excited He's got to be bursting with joy in every fiber of his being. That's not the case for these two men. The moment cries out for, look, it's me. I'm alive. Go tell the world. But he doesn't do that. And this is where we see a little bit of the playfulness continue. He doesn't go that direction. He carries on with the disguise like he's an undercover boss. And this is what he says in verse 25. We get a gentle rebuke. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus, this learned rabbi, rebukes his followers. They want the Jewish world empire. They want restoration of Israel to the glory days of King David. When it was an expansive kingdom, when it was a very wealthy kingdom, where everybody lived high on the hog. That's their expectation. And their understanding of Jesus is limited by that expectation that they are carrying. They wanted him to redeem Israel. They wanted him to take care of all of their needs. They wanted him to establish a social and political and economic kingdom. And certainly this king, King Jesus, will liberate the nation and rule the world but first he's going to liberate people from all their sin those who place their faith in him it was their agenda that determined their expectations their limited understanding of jesus dealt a heavy blow to their heart they didn't know jesus they didn't understand the scripture that had been taught to them in the servant songs in the Messianic prophecies and Psalms, and even going all the way back to Deuteronomy and Genesis. They missed out on that. They did not get to know him through Scripture. And we've got to ask ourselves at this, at this point, what expectations are we carrying for Jesus? What are we asking him to do for us? What do we believe his purpose is? in our lives and in this world? Do we see him as the living God of the universe who wants everything that we want, that will fulfill our dreams and desires? Or are we getting to know him and understanding what brings him glory and honor? Learning to trust him and obey him 
in greater ways? Are we careful to unpack biblical revelation as we discover who he is and his completeness? We don't want to be people that set our expectations on him because if we do, we're going to limit our understanding of him. And that's going to come back and limit our lives. Intellectually, we know that Jesus is Lord of Lords, but how do we choose to live each day? Do we grieve daily when things don't turn out the way we wanted them to, according to our expectations? Does our agenda determine our expectations of Jesus, or does his character and plan of redemption determine our expectation? Do we believe Honestly, as we look to him each day and become more aware of his involvement in our lives, that he is concerned about our greater good, that he is moving to transform us into his likeness. Do we believe that he is worthy of all glory and honor, that we are moving in that direction as he works in our lives? Jesus offers grace and truth. He truthfully tells them that they have little faith. They've heard the truth all their lives through scripture. They've heard him speak of his passion, predictions, and he properly called them out for their limited understanding and wrong expectations. But then he offers grace. He takes them through scripture. Wouldn't it be incredible to have been there and to hear him take them through this tour of scripture and explain everything according to himself and how all of scripture points to him giving the most complete picture of Jesus, our Lord. When the waning light of day, the playfulness of Jesus continues. We read in verses 28 and 29, and they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him saying, stay with us for it is getting toward evening and, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus acted as if he were continuing on the literal interpretation of that was he was pretending he, he was giving them hey guys sorry for your loss hope you find your friend i've got to get going you know in in, in elf this would have been mr narwell saying bye buddy i hope you find your dad jesus is causing them to want to ask for him he is leading them to a point, even in his playfulness, of getting them to ask. It makes me think of Revelation 3.20. If anyone, I knock on the door, now I'm going to ruin it. <laughs> Jesus knocks, and those who open, he will come in and sup with them. That's written to believers. It's a term of fellowship. And that's what I see going on here. Jesus is waiting for them to ask, come in and sup with us, eat with us, stay with us. Their hearts are burning with the light of our God's word. And so Jesus stays with them. And over a meal, they come to recognize him. Luke records it this way, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Literally, these words mean their eyes were completely opened and they came to fully comprehend him. This was more than just a passive, casual recognition of the physical nature of Jesus right before them. This was an, an understanding of him as Messiah, of the suffering servant. This was an understanding of him as the king of Israel. They came to a conclusion, to an understanding of who he was. I believe God gave that to them. All of a sudden, they knew Jesus. Their final bit of understanding was complete. Jesus is alive, and he was with them, even though they could not see him. So why the playfulness? What was up with Jesus? Why was he so playful with them? Was he toying with them? Was he being capricious? I think Jesus was living grace with them. He gave them what I call grace notes. Everything he did here increased their joy. Midst of deep grief, he came to them. And he increased their joy as he talked to them and as he walked with them. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us that Jesus experienced everything that we experience. And so he knew what they were going through. He knows what we're going through today, even in deep grief and loss. 
his casual ways in disguise were random reminders of the goodness of God. You ever see that in your life? We saw this in the birth of Nate. I think I've mentioned before that uh, we wanted to know on our uh, third child with the ultrasounds, what's this going to be? The nurse says, the tech says, you know, 99% sure it's a girl. So we work on the girls' names. Nate is born, and I just bust a gut laughing. And, um, and Gwen wonders what she's birthed. And uh, we discover that it's a boy. And I think that was just a random note of grace on God's part. We didn't get what we expected, and it was joyful. We even thought about naming him Isaac, which is the Hebrew word for laughter. We didn't. But we celebrated what God had given us in this little boy. I would challenge you to look around for God's grace notes in your life. Perhaps even thinking of Jesus as playful will change how you approach him, will change how you view the circumstances of your life and the relationships and your conversations and what goes on. In his playfulness, I believe Jesus increases our joy on a daily basis. Jesus gave them grace notes. I think he also gave them grace extended. His lighthearted approach in the midst of their grief caused them to wait. Caused them to wait. And, and that is so important here. Because in a, in a lighthearted way, Jesus gave them space to get to know him. To hear and understand him. To, ex- to hear his truth and experience his grace. They were slow to understand all that the prophets had, had said. They were not clear on Jesus' own passion predictions. They were of little faith. So he explained himself in Scripture. Can you imagine if he had walked up to him and said, I'm alive? They would have been so excited. They probably would have hugged him, and then they would have ran back to Jerusalem. We want to tell everybody. That's, everything would have been running through their mind, adrenaline rush, everything. But as he brings them along in his lighthearted way, he's causing them to wait. He's giving them opportunities to hear him explain scripture. He's putting them in a waiting room where they have to look to him and listen to him. And I think that's true for us sometimes. Jesus puts us in a waiting room. It could be as simple as a, a line in the grocery store, a long line. Or it could be an illness. There are all kinds of ways. I think... The Lord puts us in a waiting room so that we can listen to him, so that we can learn more about him. He calls us to know him. And waiting caused them to hear his grace. Jesus helped them learn the value and the reward of waiting and looking to him while they waited. He brought himself a major lesson. He brought them a major lesson of grace, and that is his presence. And to realize that whether they could see him or recognize him or feel him or not, that he was present with them. And that's why he disappeared so quickly, because now they knew. He changed their expectation from Jewish world empire and a cushy life for themselves and a victorious life among the nations around to one of knowing Jesus, following him. And that's his promise to us as well, that he is always with us in a time of loss and grief and in great times. Sometimes he is playful simply to increase our joy. Sometimes he is playful to give us space to get to know him better. I challenge you this week to look for his playfulness in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the joy of knowing you. Thank you that you seek to increase our joy. And even here, we've had a a little bit of an alternative way of looking at this road to Emmaus story as we considered you and your work in the lives of these two men, Cleopas and his friend. We thank you, Lord, for being so real and forthright in your truth and so kind and compassionate in your grace. And we thank you, Lord, that you are always with us, whether we recognize it or not. And we ask for the grace to call on you and to live out of your strength. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand together.
Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear What a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer Oh, what peace we often forfeit
from head to toe I got dirty hands and a dirty soul I was lost but now I'm found Ain't no grave gonna hold me down Ain't no grave gonna hold me down I will rise I will rise I will rise I will rise Troubles come for everyone Death has no respect for love Roll that stone I won't be found for being here, you may not leave. <laughs>